From San Diego to Santa Barbara, Avalon to Palm Springs, and around the world on the internet at KBRT740.com, this is Bill Martinez. Today we're talking with a sociologist who's debunking some statistical myths on U.S. Christianity. I know when you hear Dr. Brad Wright, you're going to agree that some of the stats that have been flying around about our faith just don't make sense. And then we'll visit with Nathan Jones. He is the web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries. That's right, you heard it right. He's the web minister. It makes a lot of sense when you think about this information age we live in. Today, a third of the world's population is involved in the internet, and it's the new and growing ministry field. It's all coming up on Bill Martinez right here on your God and Country station, K-Bright. On the phone with us right now is Brad Wright, PhD. Um, He's a sociologist, and he's shattering the myths from the secular and Christian media. The title of his new book, Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. Good afternoon, Brad. Good to have you here with us. Well, thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I got to tell you, when I read your book, of course, obviously, uh, the title was not uh, by happenstance. You you were purposed in that to get people's attention. I said, okay, I've got I've to check this out. So I really appreciate the statistics and your hard work to uh, clarify some of the misunderstandings I think a lot of Christians have had about their faith. Well, thank you. Yeah, when I was writing it and putting all that time into the analysis, I wondered, will anybody other than me care about this? And so it's it's uh, it's gratifying to hear that other people do, and, and thank you. Well, right off the bat, because I, uh, again, I think one of the things that, um, that's that been on my heart is just, you know, we're looking for the truth of God. What's, what's reality here, and what what can we do to promote a biblical worldview? And in the information age that we live in, uh, that's the challenge that we have today is discerning, okay, the truth from the lie and the misrepresentation, which is still the lie, and so that we base our behavior on that which is true. Absolutely. And that's one of the ironies of that this book points out, is that Christians who are so concerned about the truth sometimes accept things that aren't fully truthful mm-hmm. as a way of advancing the truth. Well, I like in your book because it, <laughs> you know, Brad, my background was in marketing, okay? So okay, I, so I understand. So I deal with some of these numbers, and people would roll numbers off, like, you know, to make themselves sound like an expert. And then when you'd ask them for their backup data, because I, I came from a background that said, you know, okay, well, you, you gave me a number, what's it based on? And then all of a sudden you see their eyes crossed. They didn't think they were going to be challenged. And so often in our culture, people rattle off numbers and we just, you know, take it for granted and, and say, okay, it must be the fact. And I think that's what's been happening today um, as documented in your book, I guess affirmed in your book, in the pulpits across the country is that somebody sends out a statistic and next thing you know, it's part of the gospel. Absolutely. For reasons I don't fully understand, we put a lot of faith in numbers, and not just Christians, everyone in society. There's something about statistics that sort of bypass the critical reasoning part of our brain and just sort of go straight to the acceptance or faith part. Right. Well, I think R.C. Sprawl um, addressed that issue in terms of our society, because what has happened over the years, we've moved away from ethics, and we've gotten into more morality-driven as a society. And so what happens, we've been trained, I guess, by the statisticians and and the culture warriors to say, if most of the people are doing it, then it's acceptable behavior, because we're not living as God ethically told us to live, but we're living based on the morals of the culture. 
Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why, Brad. I I don't know either. It, it's uh, you know it's a mystery to me as well. Although it definitely has become a very significant part of our culture, and that's what we base our behavior on these days. Yes, absolutely. Now, what was the main thing that said, "Hey, I got to write a book about this"? What, what was it that kept you up at night, and you just said, "Hey, I th- these numbers aren't working"? What was it for you? <laughs> well. Not only am I a sociologist, I'm also a Christian. And what happened was I started hearing different information in sociology about Christianity than I did in the church or from church leaders or in books or sermons. The big one was uh, divorce rate statistics. Yes. I'd heard for years that Christians have divorce rates as high or if not higher than non-Christians. Yeah, I think I just heard that uh, as, as late as just two weeks ago. Again, that was okay. repeated from the pulpit. Yeah. And that didn't make sense to me, because mm-hmm. my wife and I, we've been married at, for 20 years just about, and mm-hmm. we've received so much support from people in the church mm-hmm. and so much teaching about the importance of marriage. I just didn't see how that could result in higher divorce rates or even not have an effect. Right. And so I started looking into it, and lo and behold, it was fairly well established in scholarly literature that Christians actually have lower divorce rates. And so I, I got curious, why is it that all Christians, or so many Christians, think that they have the same or higher? And so that, that was the statistic that really launched me into the issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing led to another, and I wrote the book. Okay, so, so then you find out that uh, the numbers that are being put out there are not correct. What's causing them to be, uh, you know, to be wrong? Well, the way I think of it is that there are literally thousands of statistics about Christianity created every year but only a small handful make it to public awareness. And so what is it about those handful that make it to public awareness? What, what makes them unique? What, what gives them a sort of, what sort of prompts people to latch on to them? And I identified two processes. One, uh, especially in the secular media, there's an interest in statistics that portray Christians acting in, immorally. Mm. And my take on that is that it's not so much that that's what the secular media wants to do per se, but that's what they find interesting or they think their readers will find interesting. So, you know, if a plane crashes uh, flying to John Wayne, uh, the John Wayne Airport, well, that's big news. If it lands safely, it isn't. Right, exactly. In the same sense, if a pastor uh, has, a, you know, like a Ted Haggard situation, um, then that's big news. Yeah, forget about uh, the thousands of other pastors exactly. that are living according to the Word of God. Exactly. So yeah. that's, that's one process. Another process, um, and this is what surprised me the most, Bill, is that Christians find negative statistics about Christianity to be very useful. So we use them frequently to motivate what we have to say for the kingdom. And so Christians' uh, sermons or books will often start with a negative statistic, and then the rest of it will be how to solve that problem. And as a result, Christian authors and teachers and speakers and writers have incentive to find and to use and to publicize the most negative statistics. So if there's 10 statistics out there about a topic, chances are the most negative one, whether it's accurate or not, will get the most play in the church. And here we are, Brad, as you said in your book. I mean, we're trying to encourage people to come into the kingdom, and when they're hearing all this bad news, it's like, (laughs) you know, I think I'll stay home and watch the football game. Uh, Exactly, and that's the big problem. You know, if... Basically, the, the implied message is the church is going to die tomorrow. Christians are all hypocrites, and we're doing everything wrong. So give your life to it and bring your friends. 
<laughs> Makes a lot of sense. We're talking with Brad Wright, uh, his latest book, Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. And uh, we're going to talk about um, the general social survey and, Brad, why that's important and significant for you in studying, um, in studying the numbers. So stay with us right here on your God and Country Station. This portion of Bill Martinez Live is brought to you by Power Health USA, the home of the Medical Savings Card, where you can have access to medical care and services for as little as $19.95 a month for your entire family. Go to PowerHealthUSA.com for complete details. And brought to you by Gulliver's Restaurant, the pride of Orange County for over 40 years now, featuring mouth-watering prime rib, steaks, and daily fresh fish. Gulliver's Restaurant, right across from John. Wayne Airport on MacArthur in Irvine and Fred Jordan Missions where you can help them with your generous donation to feed thousands on LA Skid Row today. Call 1-800-964-FOOD. That's 1-800-964-3663. Bill Martinez, and we're talking with Bradley Wright, uh, Ph.D. He's a sociologist, a Christian, former Catholic. Hey, Brad, um, I was a former Catholic. Did you do the altar boy thing, too? I did. I was one of the worst altar boys in history. Oh, I, I well, I, I even taught a lot of altar boys, and, and I loved high mass. I don't know, something about the incense and everything. And one day I'll have to tell you a story about how I almost suffocated uh, the <laughs> thoroughbore one time when I was loading up his... Uh, <laughs> I was loading it up with incense. I mean, the poor guy looked over and he looked like a monk on fire. It was pretty crazy. You can only imagine. Anyway, um, he's written the book, Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. And Brad, before we went on break, um, I, I like that you seem to focus on a specific uh, survey methodology. And, uh, you know, let's bring that out because that's the other thing. I mean, Christians, when they get surveys, they, they don't, they're not sure which one has the veracity and which one we should focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and why did you focus on the general social survey? Well, basically, Bill, I started with a series of questions that I thought mattered. I looked at various myths about Christianity, various uh, sort of just uh, working assumptions that people had about it. And then I went to look for data to test these myths. And very often I ended up with a general social survey. Now that's sort of the the Cadillac of sociological data sets. It's been collected since the early 1970s. And since day one, it's had questions about religion on it. So that means we have almost 40 years of data collection about religion in America. Now, the General Social Survey, sponsored by the government, it's collected at the University of Chicago, so it's not a Christian endeavor at all, but it has a lot of rich data that that is useful for informing how we do Christianity. Well, and then, like you said, it's uh, now, would that make it the oldest uh, survey um, around for us? Well, there's actually some older ones. It's the oldest, continuous, best one. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually... um, have worked with some surveys that go back to the early 60s. And there's also surveys from the 1930s collected by Gallup, but they weren't done every year. Right. So what makes the general social survey wonderful is that it's done every year or two with the same questions. So you can track things over time. Well, with that general social survey, we, we talked a little bit about the divorce rate, and, um, and you came up with a qualified number, I mean, uh, as a result of looking at their survey. And, uh, you know, tell, tell our audience what those numbers were. Okay. So it's a way of measuring 
if uh, the divorce rate, there's, there's several different ways of doing it. One way is simply to ask people who have been married, have you ever been divorced? And you get some numbers. So I think the, the pot, depending on who you ask, the numbers usually around 35, 40% of married people say they have been divorced. Mm-hmm. When you break down the numbers between non-Christians and Christians, Christians actually are, get, di- get divorced maybe 15, 20% less than non-Christians. But even more importantly, at least from my perspective, it's the Christians who go to church most often who are the least likely to report that they've been divorced. Right. Well, your number, your number that you were showing here, you said uh, the general divorce rate among religiously unaffiliated is 50%, while that of mainline Protestants, evangelicals, and Catholics is 41%, 46%, and 35%, respectively. So that really uh, speaks, in, speaks against the lie that's being perpetuated uh, in, in the Church today. Absolutely. And Sadly, I don't know if it's going to make a difference, because as, as I suggested, that lie is based, that misconception isn't based in fact, it's based in its sort of usefulness. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that enough people will find it useful to recite that statistic that it almost doesn't matter that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it goes back to what we were talking about when I mentioned R.C. Sprawl, is that if we become a country based on morality, majority rules. So if mm-hmm. we're saying, you know, hey, the church gets divorced as much as uh, anybody else, then, you know, it de-signifies the impact of the church. It minimizes the impact of divorce in the church. And so now we're all justified to do as we darn well please, I guess. Yeah, I guess that'd be the logical extension of it. Unbelievable. Well, you said that uh, relevant to active churchgoers, you said only 38% of evangelicals who attend church weekly have been divorced compared to 60% of evangelicals who never attend. So again, you know, what comes to mind is uh, is the warning, the admonishment in the Word of God that says, do not forsake the gathering of others. I mean, if nothing else, for the sake of your marriage, right? Exactly. And it makes sense. You wouldn't expect that just someone saying that I'm a Christian would make a difference. It's, it's being a Christian. It's not just sort of the, the self-styled title. Right, being a Christian in name only. Exactly. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, here it is. We walk the walk, and as long as we, we know that, I mean, to me, this is added benefit. This is great news for the church and a reason for people to congregate and come to church every week. Yeah, it's, that was uh, what, perhaps one of the things that surprised me most is that in these issues that I looked at, probably a dozen different issues, just about all of them, not all, but just about all, had a lot of good news for the Church. And so I thought, why are we so resistant to hearing this good news? We should be happy. In fact, that was a, a suggested title, mm-hmm. uh, an early title for the book is something like Good News About the Good News or something like that. Right, right. Uh-huh. Well, Christians are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told. We're talking with Brad Wright. He's a sociologist, a Christian. He was motivated by the divorce rate numbers that have been thrown around. He said, i got to look into this a little bit further. And thank God you did, Brad. I, I really appreciate uh, you going through the effort because this is really good news, like you say, about the good news. Yes, absolutely. And there is a lot of good news. Right. Okay, well, when we come back, Brad, um, we touched on it just a moment earlier, but I want to unfold this a little bit more. And that is the other lie that's being perpetrated out there, that uh, evangelical Christianity is uh, the sky is falling and and, and we're about to go extinct. Um, stay with us on the other side of the break. This is Bill Martinez on your God and Country Station. 
This portion of Bill Martinez Live is brought to you by Power Health USA, the home of the medical savings card where you can have access to medical care and services for as little as $19.95 a month for your entire family. Go to PowerHealthUSA.com for complete details. And brought to you by Gulliver's Restaurant, the pride of Orange County for over 40 years now, featuring mouth-watering prime rib, steaks, and daily fresh fish. Gulliver's Restaurant, right across from John. John Wayne Airport on MacArthur in Irvine. And Fred Jordan Missions, where you can help them with your generous donation to feed thousands on L.A. Skid Row today. Call 1-800-964-FOOD. That's 1-800-964-3663. Our guest is Bradley R.E. Wright, Ph.D., sociologist. He is a Christian. His latest book, Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies That You've Been Told. Brad, um, is it true that evangelical Christianity is on the verge of collapse, like so many are saying? It isn't, but you'd never know it by listening to evangelical Christians. Mm. Uh, there's definitely a sky-is-falling mentality among evangelical Christians, and it just doesn't make sense. Um, in the 1970s, maybe 20, 22% of Americans define themselves as evangelicals or, or said that they uh, went to a church that was an evangelical church. Mm -hmm. uh, that bumped up to above 25% in the 90s, and now it's settled down at right around 25%. So the percentages have held roughly stable over the last 40, uh, say 30 years, and in terms of absolute numbers, we now have more evangelical Christians in the country than we ever have. Now, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but uh, as of this afternoon, things are going pretty well for the evangelical church in America. Now, uh, what about mainline Protestantism? That's a very different story. Um, unfortunately, our, our brothers and sisters in the mainline Protestant churches have had a terrible time, and it's gone back over a century. And some analyses I put on my blog uh, that sort of ex extend what I have in the book, I go back a century, and... 100 years ago, 40, 45, 50 percent of Americans defined themselves as being a member of a mainline Protestant uh, congregation. Now, that number is much less. It's maybe 15 percent. Mm. So they have just plummeted uh, consistently over the last 100 years. Now, and, where have they gone? Uh, some to evangelical, uh -huh. uh, become evangelical Protestants, uh, some just out of the faith completely. Now, and you say the, um, uh, the percentage of evangelical Christians has grown to 25%. Catholics and black Protestants have remained pretty much the same during this period of time. Yes, they have. Catholics have remained right around 25% as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that's happened. It's a little more complex than that, actually. Uh, for Catholics, they've lost a lot of American-born Catholics. But so many of the immigrants to this country are Catholic, coming from Hispanic countries, mm -hmm. that that's uh, sort of uh, washed it out or, or stabilized it. Right. You know what I found very interesting uh, in your commentary here? You said that the United States is still very much a country of Christians, with three out of four Americans affiliating themselves with Christianity. Yeah, it's, uh, we put so much emphasis on sort of the religious diversity of our country that it overlooks the fact that Three out of four Americans call themselves Christians. Maybe another 15%, 17% say that they're not affiliated with the religion. Mm -hmm. And no other religion has more than 2% of Americans. 
Well, and that is amazing, especially when the contemporary thought, and especially uh, uh, an idea that was thrown out from the White House saying that we were no longer a Christian company, uh, country, I should say. Uh, I, I mean, certainly uh, that speaks against, uh, you know, that kind of idea that was thrown out there. Well, I would say we're certainly a country of Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, a Christian country, that, that becomes more of a political and philosophical issue, and, and that's uh, above my pay grade. Okay. You don't, want, you don't want to go there with me on that, Brad? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, overall, you say 90% of Americans have believed and continue to believe in some form of God. Uh, I mean, cl- clearly there is... Um, you know, the theological, that, uh, that that's part of our lives, to whatever level. Exactly. And that's actually a misconception about the people who are not religious in our country. Very Relatively few of them are atheists or agnostics. By far and away, the majority of them have some spiritual or religious beliefs, including believing in God or the Bible. They just don't affiliate with a particular religion. Mm-hmm. And so most religiously unaffiliated people have been t- can be termed... Uh, the unchurched believer, rather than an atheist or agnostic. I see. We're talking with Brad Wright, Ph.D. He is, he is the author of the book, Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. And this is Bill Martinez with you. Um, you say that Christian parents need not fear sending their children off to a secular college. Why is that? Well, the story's a little complex, but, but here's, here's my thinking. If a kid doesn't go to college... What do they do? Now, I have a high school senior. Uh, we're looking at colleges, so this is very much a live issue. Right. It's not like they just stay home and, and spend you know, 24 hours a day in the church. There's plenty of things to get in trouble with at home. Uh, I don't mean necessarily with their parents, but you know, we're in their community. Well, in their peer group, sure. Exactly. And so it turns out that evangelical Christians who have gone to college actually have stronger faith, attend church more often, uh, believe in God more strongly, see religion as more importantly, pray more often than those who don't go to college. Now, what did you find that to be? Well, uh, we found that to be the case, and there's been several explanations for why that is. Mm. One explanation suggests that part of going to college is to um, challenge the, uh, the existing culture, and it helps us to define our faith better if we go to college and we learn about other people's faith, and then we have a, a greater appreciation of our own because it's challenged. It's sort of like uh, the, the difficulties make it stronger. Right. Now, that's not to imply that kids don't lose their faith when they go to college. That happens all too often. I, you know, I, I teach at a university. I, I, I see it happen. Right. But on average, they seem to do just as well, maybe not a little better going to college than not going to college. Is it a little bit of the iron sharpens iron, the fact that they're in the fight for their faith, that in fighting for their faith, it secures it even more? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, a lot of colleges just asking kids, what do you believe? And so beliefs can go from being their parents' beliefs to their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking with Brad Wright, Ph.D. He is the author of Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. And when we come back, Brad, um, I want to address uh, the idea that evangelical Christians uh, are poor and and uneducated, okay? All right, stay with us on the other side of the break. 
This portion of Bill Martinez Live is brought to you by Power Health USA, the home of the medical savings card where you can have access to medical care and services for as little as $19.95 a month for your entire family. Go to PowerHealthUSA.com for complete details. And brought to you by Gulliver's Restaurant, the pride of Orange County for over 40 years now, featuring mouth-watering prime rib, steaks, and daily fresh fish. Gulliver's Restaurant, right across from John. John Wayne Airport on MacArthur in Irvine. And Fred Jordan Missions, where you can help them with your generous donation to feed thousands on L.A. Skid Row today. Call 1-800-964-FOOD. That's 1-800-964-3663. Bill Martinez here, and our guest is Bradley Wright, Ph.D. He's written a book that uh, will definitely get your attention. And a lot of people are saying not only should you get the book and read it, but you want to pass it on and you know, buy one for, for a friend because you need to see what he's done in the book and get a handle on the statistics that have been poured out there in churches that have been poured out in our community that have um, – misrepresented, you know, what's actually happening in our Christian communities. The title of his book, Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. Brad, are the majority of evangelical Christians poor and uneducated, like it has been famously reported by the Washington Post? Um, Well, actually not. Um, On average, evangelical Christians do have slightly lower levels of education than the general populace. But it's not that different. And a quite a few evangelical Christians are very well educated. And as I suggested earlier, education is actually linked to stronger beliefs. And so this is a case where a small difference is sort of made into a stereotype that that labels everyone. Well, you say, um, let's talk about racial separation here, okay? Mm -hmm. Racial separation in our church occurs as the unintended and often unwanted byproduct of the very thing that makes churches strong. Uh, Explain. Okay. Well, the fact that we're dealing with here is that churches tend to be racially or ethnically homogenous. In other words, if a church has a lot of white people, or a church can have a lot of white people or a lot of African Americans or a lot of Hispanics, but we don't see as many well-integrated churches as we might expect if they were just to draw randomly from their community. Uh, Some sociologists have looked at this, and they suggest that the reason this happens is because churches survive and do well by targeting a a niche in the community. So maybe wealthy people, maybe poor people, uh, maybe people like a certain type of music or a certain type of service. And so churches do sort of one form of presentation to the community. But that tends to attract uh, like-minded people. Right. Birds of a feather flock together. Exactly. I guess that's a much easier way to say it. And, uh, And the birds of a feather who flock together are attracted to different congregations, uh, I guess different flocks would be attracted to different congregations based on what the congregation is like. And so uh, the example is like uh, a mall. So if you go to uh, a mall, you find that most of the stores have target audiences. You know, so maybe you know, teenage girls who are buying cheap jewelry or old guys who like to buy fancy electronics or you know, young women who want to buy uh, fancy clothes. Well, in the same sense, churches target one audience uh, or a small audience, and often 
that tends to be an audience that is of one particular race or ethnicity. So even though most churches, at least in my experience, want to be racially integrated, they sort of inadvertently uh, do things that lead them away from being that. Well, he's a sociologist, and he's debunking the myths on U.S. Christianity. Brad Wright, an author of the book Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies, you've been told. This is Bill Martinez with you. And, Brad, we got a couple more questions. Um, how active, uh, according to your survey, are uh, evangelicals in sharing their faith? Well, that was a surprise for me. Uh, several surveys have asked questions like, how often do you share your religious beliefs with others? Or do you share your religious beliefs with others on a regular basis every week or two? And over half of evangelical Christians said that they did. And this surprised me because sort of the, the stereotype that I've heard is that Christians just never share their faith. And in fact, evangelicals scored very high. We even scored higher than Mormons, right. uh, believe it or not. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the studies that got my attention here, what, about two years ago, was from the Barna Group. And they were saying that, uh, you know, barely one in ten people, um, you know, shared, shared their faith. Mm-hmm. And so that got a lot of people's attention. Yeah, whereas I guess the... My guess is that the statistic I present, which I think is on pretty solid data, is going to get less attention because it's not something you can use to, to motivate a book or a sermon about the need to evangelize. Well, and like you said, again, and it bears repeating, I mean, these numbers are coming out to serve a, you know, a purpose that is to drive an agenda, not necessarily to drive the gospel, um, that uh, you would think, as Christians, that would be paramount. Absolutely. It seems like we can't that we do best when we focus on what's true, uh, even when it's what we think is unhelpful. But it seems like it's most helpful for us to focus on what's true and, and right. Our final question, Brad, is, um, is a big one, um, and this is about women in the church and uh, women versus men in the church. Does your research and history show that, um, you know, that more women in the church is a good thing? Well, it certainly is the case that Christian congregations tend to be predominantly female, you know, maybe even 60-40. So that's a, a big imbalance. And some people identify that as a problem to be solved. And, you know, I accept that kind of thinking. Uh, but a sociologist named Rodney Stark, who also studies history, looked back on the history of the Christian church, and, and he offered a very interesting uh, hypothesis, Bill. And he said that part of what made Christianity strong the first couple centuries that it existed was its appeal to women. It turns out that Christianity actually treated women much better than did other religions. It, you know, told their husbands to treat them well. It uh, didn't force them into marriage at a young age. Uh, gave them more control over their children, and so it, it attracted a lot of women. These women would then marry men who were outside of the faith. The men would convert. Their children would be raised Christian, and this ended up being a mechanism through which Christianity grew so quickly throughout the near world. So. In a sense, it is, you know, people understand it as a problem today, that it attracts more women than men. But historically, that might have been a godsend to us. Mm-hmm. I know, because one of the things you hear um, continually around churches is, is the feminization of the church. And, uh, and there's a call for more men to get uh, more, you know, to get active in the church. Yeah, and, and I can understand why people say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my suggestion when I talked to a pastor about that was maybe, you know, have, um, have people be able to, like, 
rappel down ropes to get communion or something like that, you know, to kind of macho it up a little bit. Yeah. He, he, he didn't think that it was that good idea. Yeah, we need we, men need the battle. You know, we need we need to, we need the fight. That's part that's part of our uh, our um, our DNA that God has uh, put in us. Um, Brad, we got a few seconds left. Uh, what's your final admonition to our audience uh, regarding the statistics and the myths that are being thrown around out there? In a lot of ways, things are going well for Christianity. In America, we're not a sinking ship. Instead, we're a ship going at you know pretty good speed and about the right direction. And so, there's a lot to feel good about and to give our lives to, and to invite other people to. Amen. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being a part of our uh, our show this afternoon. Great to have you here with us, Brett Wright, PhD, sociologist, and the author of the book "Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told." Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you, Bill, and thank you for having me on your show. This portion of Bill Martinez Live is brought to you by Power Health USA, the home of the Medical Savings Card, where you can have access to medical care and services for as little as $19.95 a month for your entire family. Go to PowerHealthUSA.com for complete details. And brought to you by Gulliver's Restaurant, the pride of Orange County for over 40 years now, featuring mouth-watering prime rib, steaks, and daily fresh fish. Gulliver's Restaurant, right across from John. Wayne Airport on MacArthur in Irvine and Fred Jordan Missions where you can help them with your generous donation to feed thousands on LA Skid Row today. Call 1-800-964-FOOD. That's 1-800-964-3663. Bill Martinez here, and we're talking with Nathan Jones. He's the evangelist and web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries. Nathan, good to have you here with us. Oh, it's great to be here, Bill. Thank you. You know, when I was talking with uh, Dr. David Reagan a couple months back, he had mentioned you by name, and uh, and he said, web minister. I said, web minister? What's a web minister? <laughs> uh, a web minister is a person who gets on the Internet and shares the gospel with the over 2 billion people plus. Well, out there on the internet right now. The technology, and uh, you know, we keep talking about the information age that we live in. I mean, this is uh, this is a whole new domain now. Oh, you're not kidding. Uh, let me give you a few statistics to show you how big this has gotten. Now, the world population. I was looking at these stats last month. Six point eight billion people, according to the Internet World Stats. One point nine billion use the internet in the world. That's twenty nine percent, almost a third of the planet now uses the internet. And we can reach people all over the planet that have never been reached before with the gospel. And it's a huge field, and it's a new mission field. And I started out as planning to be a missionary in Brazil with street children, and now I'm a missionary to the entire planet. So it's a, it's a really uh, moving place, and it shows that we're getting close to the end times. Uh, Jesus said to, to uh, Daniel that in the end, uh, knowledge and travel will increase, and it sure has, and we're using that to get the gospel all over the planet. Wow, that is to- that's totally awesome, Nathan. Now, um, let's get into this a little bit more. I mean, here you are, you're going to go be a missionary in Brazil, and now you end up on the computer. Yeah, well, you know, I went to uh, Philadelphia Biblical University, and I got through college on a typewriter. I didn't know much about computers. This was the mid-90s, and mm-hmm. my final paper for Doctrine 4... Yeah, for those that don't remember, a typewriter was uh, <laughs> uh, the, the predecessor to word processing. <laughs> yes, yes, it wasn't even a word processor. It was just a typewriter. Yes. And uh, uh, we had our final paper had to be on, on a computer, and so I had to kind of learn a computer, and I, I went to work for a mission board, which was at the time called UFM International, and uh, I worked for the IT director, and he started teaching me about technology and things like that. 
and I had to learn how to use a computer, and I was like, wow, this opened up the whole world to me. So I was planning on going with UFM International to be a missionary. My wife and I have three children in Brazil, and the candidate director had said, you know, you should get some real-world experience. So I left the ministry and uh, found out that a Bible degree doesn't give you real-world experience. <laughs> so I had to go to tech school, and I studied uh, web technology and uh, web development design. Got a good position working for an ISP, building e-commerce sites and websites for big companies along the East Coast. And I felt, wow, I am so far away, Lord, from where I planned on being mm. in the mission field. And uh, at the time online, I found that a uh, megachurch, uh, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, mm. was looking for someone to do their website online. So, hey, I can work for the Lord, and I can use my new web skills. Right. I did that for six years, and it was great. You know, we serviced primarily churches, websites service their own congregations and get mm. people to encourage. But the real chance to, to get on the Internet and share the gospel came when uh, Dr. David Reagan came to speak at our church, and through a mutual friend, I found out he was looking for someone to minister on the web to take it to the next level. So he and, was the one that introduced the concept to you? Well, I had the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, The Internet Church by uh, Walt Wilson is one of the best books on ministering over the Internet. There's mm-hmm. a group called the Internet Evangelism Society, and they get together uh, every year and talk about ways that we can witness to people over the Internet. And uh, fortunately, I have the tech skills and the marketing skills to back me up so I could build the site, maintain it, and do the social networking and all that stuff. But anybody can get on the web and share with anybody around the world through Facebook, through uh, Twitter, through just uh, blogging and all that, and reach people. I mean, we get people who write in the ministry all the time with questions about the Bible and the Gospel, and I get Muslims and atheists and, you know, all these different groups, cults, write in. They want to debate, and you can share the Gospel with them, too. I mean, ways that back when I was on a typewriter, I couldn't have done it. Yeah, right, I couldn't exactly. have done it. Yeah. So I'm just amazed how the Lord took me all the way from wanting to be a mission field to maybe, say, 20, 30 kids, to now having going that other route, getting the technology behind me, and now I can share the gospel all yeah. over the world. Praise well, the Lord. Talk about doing, you know, uh, the Great Commission from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Oh, yeah, Matthew I mean, 20. right there at your desk. <laughs> Just, yeah, you're not kidding. You know, I, I, you don't have to travel like you used to. I mean, it's, it's still important. We still need missionaries on the field. We still need to uh, support them and to, to build up uh, native missions to help in their own communities. But uh, for people who, who are, tend to be senders and send missionaries to the field, they too can be missionaries in their families and their communities, but they can also go online and reach the outermost parts of the world and be missionaries to people all over the world. But I, I look at my uh, blog stats. We have a blog lamblion.us it's a christ and prophecy journal and i can see stats of where all the different countries where people come people from all over the world come to that website to read our articles that dr reagan and i post on it and uh it's just it's just a fascinating time to be sharing the gospel it's got to be exciting for you now um i want to get into some of the questions uh that you deal with but you touched on something in terms of the simplicity of the message that anybody can put the gospel message out there, you know, on the Internet and, uh, and communicate to people that want to hear the good news. Oh, you're not kidding. It's, the, the message has never changed. Mm-hmm. It's that Jesus is our Savior, and if you follow him, you'll be forgiven of your sins, and you will go to heaven. I mean, it's, that, that's the message Jesus gave us back in Acts 1-8 and Matthew 28-18-20, and that's the message we held. But the form, the way we share it, has diversified so greatly as technology and as time has gone on, 
And anybody can do that. Anybody can get online and share it, email, uh, chats, you name it. And uh, what's great is we have a Christ and Prophecy Facebook group. We have about 3,500 people on it. And these people are from all over the planet, and they're sharing the gospel with each other, and they're encouraging each other. And it's, you know, it's not a church. It's kind of like a pseudo-church, I guess you could say. Because it's believers sharing their faith and all. But it, it, it creates a fellowship amongst believers that, that kind of augments what we get at church. Well, I think whenever you can be in, in a situation where, you know, as iron sharpens iron, it's, it's only going to advance the cause that much more. So, uh, you know, and as you say, and I want people to really understand that we're not talking about a lot of heavy technology here or something, mm-hmm. right? No, no. This is technology that most likely your 10-year-old knows how to work. You know, it's, uh, you're talking, you know, it's really neat about how technology increases. Just in the last few years, cell phones have really caught on to using the Internet, not just as phones, but, uh, you know, your iPad and your BlackBerry you can get online. And so, it, you know, it's simple usage like that that anybody can use that, to share the gospel, to get on the forums. Um, Yahoo Answers is a great one. Someone will post a question, you can give them the biblical gospel answer. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a kind of a weird format where you vote on what the correct answer is, which is, you know, not the truth, yeah. <laughs> you know, but there, there's people reading what you post, exactly. and that, you know that's a way to get out. The, our ministry likes to make videos. We made a, a video recently called "Jesus Came, What's Next," and we leave it on our website. It's for those who are left behind after Jesus comes back and takes people in the rapture to give them the gospel message. So the internet can be used like a message in a bottle or a time capsule that people can, after you have gone, can read up and share your faith. Uh, I mean, reads about some people saying for die. They die and they leave a message uh, with friends mm. and family online, and it becomes a t- they can continue ministering after they're left on earth. Oh, wow. That's what we're trying to do with our website at lamblion.com. Right. It's not only to minister people now before Jesus comes, but after as well during this terrible time that's coming up called the tribulation. Boy, the dimensions of, and the power of this new ministry is absolutely awesome. We're talking with Nathan Jones. He is the web minister with Lamb and Lion Ministries. And when we come back, Nathan, I want to take a look at some of the questions, the most asked questions that you deal with in your web ministry, okay? Certainly. This portion of Bill Martinez Live is brought to you by Power Health USA, the home of the Medical Savings Card, where you can have access to medical care and services for as little as $19.95 a month for your entire family. Go to PowerHealthUSA.com for complete details. And brought to you by Gulliver's Restaurant, the pride of Orange County for over 40 years now, featuring mouth-watering prime rib, steaks, and daily fresh fish. Gulliver's Restaurant, right across from John. John Wayne Airport on MacArthur in Irvine. And Fred Jordan Missions, where you can help them with your generous donation to feed thousands on L.A. Skid Row today. Call 1-800-964-FOOD. That's 1-800-964-3663. universe declares your majesty. Martinez, and we're talking with Nathan Jones, the web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries. And Nathan, um, incredible ministry. I mean, this is relatively new. How long has the web ministry been in operation? Well, we've had a website at Lamb and Lion Ministries since the Mm mid-90s. But to actually turn it into an interactive thing that goes out, not just people have to come to, but that it goes out to people, 
probably when I started, and it's been about three years now. Wow. And, uh, I mean, the quantum leap that uh, Lamb and Lion has made in the web ministry genre is incredible. And, uh, you know, what, what kind of questions, you know, what are the typical questions that you deal with? Uh, well, that's, that's one thing. The more we outreach, the more people ask questions, and then the more time I spend answering questions, which, you know, is fine. Uh, Dr. Reagan, uh, uh, he can spend more time writing and working on our TV show, Christ and Prophecy, now as that, that frees him up. Uh, primarily, you know, our central message for our ministry is, the soon return of Jesus Christ, you know, mm-hmm. be ready. Yes. And so uh, we talk a lot about the rapture of the Church. So a number of the questions that we get concern about the rapture. What is the rapture? Uh, when is it going to happen? Who does it affect? And those are the, primarily what a lot of our questions are mm-hmm. related to is the rapture. Now, are they getting much into the specifics like, you know, what's happening in the Mideast and things like that? And where's America in prophecy? Or is it just uh, more, you know, just more about Jesus' second coming? Oh, it's it's all tied together because uh, you know, clearly we're in the end times. Jesus said, like in Matthew twenty-four, like birth pains, uh, crime, violence, natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, false prophets. Everything would increase exponentially the closer we come to His return. So uh, the rapture, uh, the terrible seven years that are coming up, the tribulation, the realignment of global governments into one system, uh, the Antichrist. He's supposed to be the uh, the name the Bible gives for the one world leader coming. Uh, Jesus coming again at the end of the tribulation, uh, Jesus' millennial kingdom, and, and a lot of people know what happens when you die. So, yeah, all this is tied together under a big umbrella, end times. We're talking with the web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries, Nathan Jones. This is Bill Martinez. And, Nathan, um, if somebody else wanted to start up a, a web ministry, what would you recommend for them? I would recommend... Uh, maybe uh, starting their own website using one of the free services out there, real easy to use, say like blogger.com or WordPress. And uh, it's real cheap to get your own hosting, you know, maybe five, ten dollars a month and get a, a domain name, which is your, your web address, your, like ours is lamblion.com. You know, it's also called a URL. And uh, just get in there and use these free tools uh, and start, start posting articles and things that you would like to talk about. If you don't want your own website, then it's easy enough to just go on. There's so many forums out there. I got this one lady who, she uh, is one of our uh, moderators for our, our forum on Facebook called uh, the Christ, Christ and Prophecy Facebook group. But she spends a lot of her time on gun websites and gun discussion groups oh, wow. and sharing the gospel with these people. And uh, I got others who are, are like race car fans. They go to race car sites and share. So you don't have to own any bit of the part of the Internet, but you can go to other places and forums and discussion groups uh, I get uh, Slashdot, which is a uh, tech journal every day, and there's discussion forums. And uh, that Slashdot is great news, but it's filled with atheism and evolutionary views. And boy, you can drop some gospel in there, and you know, be prepared. You're going to get a backlash. <laughs> right, right. There's a chance. Uh, another thing too is that there is a lot of Muslims out there who write in who know that if if they were found out that they were asking about the gospel that they would more likely be killed under their society's uh, Sharia law. So they will write in anonymously and ask questions and want to know about the gospel. And uh, we had one guy call, he says he's the only Christian he knows of, but he's terrified to tell his family he's uh, in Iman. And uh, he was saying that he wanted to know how he could study the Bible and study the gospel. And and we gave him a lot of literature through our website that electronically he could hide. And and so you don't have to own a piece there. And it's nice if you want to post your own stuff, but... There's plenty of forums out there that people can get on 
and share the gospel with other people. You know, and that's what you, your point's well taken. I mean, this is a way for people to uh, anonymously, you know, be exposed to the gospel, especially like you say, Muslims w- who have so much to lose. Um, you know, there are other faiths where, you know, if they make a conversion to Jesus Christ, I mean, there is a lot, lot on the line, and this allows them to uh, be exposed to the good news and make the, make the hard decision, but be fully informed. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there is just no excuse nowadays for us not being able to get the gospel out somewhere. I mean, a lot of for Christians, you talk to them, they're scared to share their faith with friends and family or, or neighbors because of that face-to-face and that rejection. And, and for the good or for the bad of it, the Internet allows you to get online anonymously, you know, with your avatar and your, your uh, screen name, and share the gospel and, and get it out there without that, that fear of... Uh, you know, inter- <laughs> it yeah. sounds terrible. You know, the fear of interpersonal relationships. Right. I mean, that's what we're trying to build. But if you're trying, if, if someone has a fear of sharing the gospel, the internet kind of removes that. Unfortunately, it removes people's uh, manners too. Sometimes, you right. know, they they feel free to say whatever's on their mind on the internet without recompense. But you know, there is no excuse to be to not being able to get out there and get on the internet and share. Uh, you know, unless you just don't have a computer or a phone and. and that's a very dwindling number as, as the years go on. Right. Well, in our conversation with uh, Dick Eastman in Every Home for Christ, I mean, he reminded us uh, a couple of weeks back that, um, it, you know, they just hold to a simple message. It's one they've been doing for over 60 years. And, you know, they just they go out there and just talk to people, you know, sure. just just engage people. And w- with them, I mean, uh, a big part of their ministry is uh, a, a basic tract. And if, if we're not inviting people, they're not going to come. Exactly. And this is a way to engage them and get the, uh, you know, get the message out there, and so that uh, you know they like us have a choice. Exactly. You know, the group that does this the best is Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. They know that the age group that's uh, younger is on the internet all the time. Matter of fact, I'll give you some statistics. Uh, the from 16 to 29, there was a survey done recently. Seventy-seven percent of the time they're on the internet, and only twenty-three percent of the time on TV. Wow. And in China, it was the same thing: eighty-seven percent and thirteen percent. Boy, has that turned upside down? I mean, it talking is. about you know the, their oh, yeah. um, you know the uh, use eyes on TV uh, for many years. I mean, seven eight hours a day, and now it's in front of a computer. Yeah, I mean, TV is is good, and it's our best outreach. We reach you know, country. You can go to Israel and watch Christ's prophecy, which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. But for the internet. When you've got a whole new culture and generation doing almost all their time on the Internet, then that's where you reach them. And the Campus Crusade for Christ has, has dozens of websites out there aimed particularly at getting the gospel to college-age age students. And so it's a paradigm that if we want to make sure the gospel reaches the world, we've got to go where the people are, and increasingly the people are getting on the Internet. Well, Nathan Jones, he's the web minister for Lamb Lion Ministries. And uh, Nathan, uh, to summarize and to, and to bring us home, uh, what's, what's the takeaway here? The takeaway is uh, get out there and share the gospel. It's what God called us to do. And if you've got uh, and if you got a website or you got a computer, there's uh, lots of new and easy ways to you know g- get her done, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even a cell phone. You know that you don't have to buy a big old desktop or laptop anymore. 
cell phones are doing it now too. Well, it was amazing. You know, speaking of cell phones, I had um, talked to this gal who started a prayer ministry just from her contact list off her cell phone. Wow! And now she's in uh, twenty different states in the United States uh, that she has. Uh, she meets with people on the phone in a prayer in a prayer session uh, two nights a week now. That is fantastic. I mean, has that gone viral? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. The, uh, the, again, we can utilize the power of this technology to get the gospel out there. So there's lots of new and exciting ideas. And I was really excited to have the opportunity to talk to you because uh, web ministry is a whole new uh, avenue for us. And I wanted to make sure people were aware that uh, there are people out there doing it, such as yourself. I mean, uh, and there's and there's people there in, uh, in churches that would love to get involved with the gospel and getting the gospel message out there. And this might be the perfect way for them to get engaged. Oh, certainly. I mean, think about it, Bill. You yourself are a web minister. I mean, your radio programs are downloadable off your website. Right. You have a web presence. Uh, a lot of, you can get apps on your cell phones now that play radio and right through your your cell phone. So you don't need a tower anymore. You don't need to be in a location. You can listen. Uh, I mean, remember back even in the late '90s, you could listen to radio from anywhere around the world over the internet. So uh, you yourself, Bill, yes. are a web minister, even though you're a radio personality. You're, you're the best of both worlds. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, we're, we're blessed many times over, and that's the cool thing about doing what God's called us to do. Like you said, it's, uh, it's absolutely exponential because you're looking, you know, in our own thinking, we think, okay, here's, here's where God wants us to, to be. And then, um, you know, and then he moves you over somewhere else. And my goodness, you know, we go from talking to Jerusalem and, and to the uttermost parts of the world very quickly. Oh, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that technology has advanced like it has only because God Amen. has allowed it amongst people. I mean, our technology is increasing exponentially, and uh, the breakthroughs are coming through, and God's behind that. God foretold it would happen to Daniel almost 2,600 or so years ago. And so we know that God is behind this, and if he's given us the tools, we need to pick them up and, and use them and, and complete, because there's a purpose. There's a reason why we're on earth to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that uh, primarily is sharing the gospel. And we can do that now so much more prolifically than ever before. Well, and like you say, there is a high sense of urgency because he is coming soon. Exactly. Amen. Amen. That is our primary mission, and the Internet helps us achieve that. All my regards to uh, Dr. David Reagan, would you please? I will definitely do that. Okay, Nathan Jones, the web minister for Lamb and Lion Ministries. Great to have you with us, Nathan. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you, Bill. You too. God bless. Well, thanks again to Dr. Brad Wright, author of the book, Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told, and Nathan Jones, the web minister from Lamb and Lion Ministries. What a great way to share the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. God's hand is definitely moving in rapidly new and exciting ways. Well, I ran across this reminder this past week from Charles Spurgeon in my devotions. See if it doesn't challenge you. He said, I recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the depths of divine revelation. A faith that paddles around about the edges of the water is poor faith at best. It's a little better than dry land faith, but it's not good for much. 
Thanks again for sharing a part of your weekend with us. We'll see you next week at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. For more details of the show and audio files of our past shows, be sure and check out BillMartinezLive.com. And let us know of your comments or a suggestion for a guest, including your pastor. Email us the info, and we'll take it from there. Have a great weekend. And remember, in Isaiah 40, 31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings of eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. May you all be blessed to go out and be a blessing. 